Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Well, hello again, everybody. We're so glad that you've joined us for worship today. My name is Trevor. I'm one of the pastors here at Community of Hope, and we're just glad and delighted that you've joined us for worship today, wherever you're streaming this from, whatever type of screen you're watching this from. Welcome. We're glad that you're here and worshiping together today. We've had a great service so far, and I think God has a word for us today. Hey, so if you are new with us, streaming in particularly, since more people are connecting with Community of Hope for the very first time, now more than ever, believe it or not, through online and through social media and whatever means that you might be new to us, you want to connect with us, do us a favor. Go ahead and text the word hello to the number on the screen, and we'll text you back a form where you give us a little bit of information about yourself, and we'll be in touch with you to help you get to know our church and plug in a little bit better. Don't worry, we're not going to spam you. We're not going to bug anybody. I'm protective of my phone number too. Um, But just go ahead and do that if you want to connect with us in a better way. Make sure you do that. Well, as we jump into our message for today, we are on, uh, believe it or not, week five of a series that we're calling Amaze. We're taking a closer look at the life of Jesus. I went back online to look at some of the videos that we've produced over the past several weeks and services that we put up online, and it blew my mind that we are in week 10, 10 of doing church like this. Can you believe it? Time has flown by, yet it all seems like a huge blur to me. It just blows me away. Have you seen that picture of Tom Hanks, maybe on Facebook or on Instagram or whatever, where they have a picture of me before COVID-19. It's a picture of like Tom Hanks from like You've Got Mail or something, just looking dapper and handsome, Tom Hanks-ish, America's dad pretty much. So there's me before COVID-19, and then it shows a picture of Tom Hanks from Castaway with long hair and a beard, screaming at Will Wilson the volleyball, saying me after COVID-19. I don't know about you. I feel a little bit like that sometimes. It's been a long time in the season. I need a volleyball to yell at a little bit. And it's been challenging. I don't know about you. I am struggling with wanting things to go back to normal so bad and coming to grips with the reality that this isn't going to be a light switch where things come back to normal, but it's going to take a little bit. I saw Dr. Fauci say, Oh gosh, I don't know, it was on TV at some point this week where he told our nation that we are on a quest to return to normal. And it made me a little bit sad because we know we have a long fight to go. And so we're in a little bit of a struggle in this season. And yet at the exact same time as this is a struggle and it's hard and we're in a lot of difficulty, there's also a lot of hidden blessings in this season. I was rocking uh, my baby to sleep the other night. We have three kids at home, and uh, we have a daughter who's going to turn one later this summer. But uh, it was the middle of the night. It was my turn to help out with my wife, and so I'm trying to be a good husband. And my baby was a little fussy. She was a little upset. She didn't need food. She didn't need diapers. So I tried to reset her. So I pulled out my phone and just tried to look at some pictures to distract her and reset her. And in the middle of the night, when I was thinking about the season and flipping through all the pictures of some of the great moments that have happened so far in this pandemic and in this quarantine where we're all holed up at our house and seeing all the wonderful quality time that we've had and some of the milestones that we've had and some of the joys and some of the concerns and all those things that made me actually grateful in this season that even though this is really hard, and especially really hard for I know a lot of you, there's a lot going on in our nation and in our world, 
there's also moments of blessing in this. Because here's why I know that's true about God. God takes some of the most difficult seasons of our life, and we don't believe that he's the author of these seasons, not by a mile, but we believe that he's the redeemer of difficult seasons. And we at our church and in our community here, we're not going to waste our quarantine. We're going to grow in the grace of God. We're going to grow in faith in the season. In fact, I heard uh, last week when Pastor Dale preached, it was a great message. I encourage you to go online and watch that. It's on our website and it's on YouTube. Go check it out in our podcast. This is my favorite quote of his from last week. And Pastor Dale said this. He said, I don't know of anything that could transform in a more powerful way human misery, brokenness, addiction, relational dysfunction, self-hatred, self-destruction, compulsion, sadness, a lack of purpose, you name it. In fact, if any of this fits you, I want you to know that I can't recommend any other thing to you with such a powerful and sustained track record than that what the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ does to the human experience. And so, so sure, is now a time to get caught up at things and to do special projects and to learn hobbies? Of course it is. But now's the time to also grow your faith and to connect with what matters ultimately most. And it's him. And it's Jesus. It's a chance to grow faith. And so uh, just speaking to you, whoever you may be and whoever's watching this right now, there's some of you who've been coming to church forever. We're glad you're here with us. There are some of you where you have never gone to church before, and this is totally new for you, but it's easier to stream than show up in person. So it's easier now than ever to come to church. We're glad you're here. If you're somebody that's been forever since you've been to church, but you're checking it out again, you're in the right place. And we're here to grow what matters most in this season. So we're in the series that we're calling Amazed. We're going to take a closer look at the life of Jesus. What we're doing, we're taking a journey through the, what's called the Gospel of Mark. There are four ancient, bio, ancient autobiographies of the, not auto, take that back. There are four ancient biographies, there it is, of the life of Jesus. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Believe it or not, even though Mark is second in the list, it's the oldest of these Gospels. It was written by a guy named Mark, but all scholars believe that this is really the Apostle Peter's perspective because Mark was his protege, and he told all those firsthand stories about Jesus to Mark, and Mark wrote them down and codified them and put them in his book. And so we're taking a journey through Mark where this word amazed and this theme of amazement keeps recurring throughout this gospel. And we thought we could take a journey all the way through Mark at some of these high points of amazement to learn a little bit more about Jesus. In fact, here's our theme verse. It comes from Mark 7, 37, and we're going to put it on the screen on the TV. So wherever you're at, I encourage you to go ahead and read this out loud with me right now to participate a little bit. Mark 7, 37, first part of the verse, it says this here. Let's read it out loud together. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, everything well. So um, a lot of people I know um, have taken this season to get stuff done at their house. Like this is the best season ever for spring cleaning and doing projects around your house because you can't go anywhere. You can't do anything. You can't see anyone. Might as well get your project list done. So I decided to do a little bit of housework myself, but I decided to work on my yard a little bit. I want to show you a picture of my backyard. And so here's a picture of my backyard. And uh, my wife and I, we live uh, on a canal in Royal Palm. 
And it's just a beautiful spot. And I took this picture earlier this week. We have those plastic chairs. Teal is Leah's favorite color in the whole world. And we just put those out there uh, because if it wasn't mm, maybe a week and a half ago that you actually couldn't see the water in between the trees at all. It was, in fact, it was filled with um, what's called like a trash kind of a tree. Uh, it's called a Brazilian pepper tree. And it was just, it's an invasive species. We're supposed to cut it down because it grows on other trees. It can hurt other trees. And so it was just grown up in between those beautiful cypress trees that we have in our backyard. And we couldn't see the water at all. And they had grown pretty big. It wasn't a bush. They were trees in the midst of the other trees. And I decided, you know what? This is going to be my project. And so I'm smart enough to know what I can and cannot do. And so uh, I decided to call a friend who is an expert and certified in felling trees and asked him to come help me out. And he did. He came over to my house and brought all of his tools. And I was way out of my league. I'm so glad I called him to do that. And he took down the trees in just an hour and a half. Well, I'm wanting to be a good friend and I wanted to help haul all this yard trash all the way to the front. I wasn't going to expect him to do all of that for me. And so we were doing it together, hauling all this stuff. Now, but here's the trick. Here's the thing with this. If you rewind just a couple months, my father-in-law, Paul, hi, Paul. I know you're streaming this. Good to see you. Uh, Paul was down there looking at the trash trees to see how can we get these down. And then a week later after visiting us, we had gone back home to Tampa with my mother-in-law. He broke out in a poison oak rash all over his body. And he said, hey, watch out. There is poison oak on those trees. And I knew that. I warned my friend that. I was going to be careful. In fact, the day we we're chopping down the trees, he heard we we're chopping them down. He texted my wife, say, tell Trevor to watch out. There is poison oak on those trees. I said, I know. I got it. I'm fine. I'll wear gloves. Look at me. So my friend, who's a little bit more of an expert in this stuff with me, even though I have a beard, I'm not actually a lumberjack. He wore long sleeves, pants, gloves, and did all this stuff. Me? Like the genius that I am, I wore gloves and a t-shirt and a pair of Under Armour gym shorts and shoes. You can guess where this is going. So I'm helping haul all the yard trash out. I look around like, I don't got anything on me. I think I'm good. Woke up the next day, nothing on me. I think I'm good. The next day, I think I'm good. It's fine. I was looking for it. All's well. Ha ha ha. Just a couple days ago, about one week, almost to the day, we chopped down those trees and carried out all the yard trash. I got a little dot in my arm. I'm like, oh, I got bit by a mosquito and it itches. And then it got, became another dot. Like, man, I got bit by a couple mosquitoes. And then those two dots became three dots and became a cluster of dots. And then became a blob on my arm and then on my other arm and then on my knees and on my thighs and on my shins and on my ankles. I am covered in poison oak, everybody. It's ridiculous. I'm like, uh, I'm a walking pharmacy right now. I have three different types of creams, a steroid my doctor gave me, a pill for anti-itch. I'm just like pathetic right now. It's horrible. And here's the deal. I could have avoided all of this ridiculous stuff, waking up in the middle of the night itching, you know, just regretting poor decisions in my life, all sorts of stuff. If I just listened to my father-in-law. Now, Paul, don't take a picture of this. Don't film this and play it back for yourself every single day, okay? Here's the deal. If I just listened to my father-in-law and been a little bit more careful and heeded the warning a little bit more, I would have saved myself so much pain and discomfort that I'm in 
right now and all the money that the doctor made me spend at the public's pharmacy. My goodness, if I just listened to the warning. Now, why am I telling you all that? Well, here's the deal. Today's passage that we're going to be looking at is actually a warning type of a passage. I've heard it said that the best way to learn a lesson is to learn from somebody else's mistake, is to learn from somebody else's pain, to not have to learn something the hard way. This is one of those passages of scripture. The reason Mark put this in here and the reason that Peter told him this story is so that me and you can learn from it so we don't repeat it. It's a warning. So let's heed it. So our passage for today comes from the gospel of Mark chapter six, verses one through the first half of verse six. And it says this here, Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? They asked. And what's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? They took offense at him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except to lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Let's pray. Lord, we pray the ancient prayer of all your people in the Psalms, that would you open our eyes to see wonderful things in your law. Open our eyes to see amazing things about you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Last week, Pastor Dale talked about how two weeks ago, three weeks ago at this point when you're streaming this, uh, we talked about popular passage. Last week we talked about an unpopular passage, and today we talked about a little bit of a controversial and problematic passage. One, I mean, we don't even have time to get into the fact that Jesus tried to perform a miracle and couldn't. Even Jesus lives with unanswered prayer. My goodness. But we're talking about here that Jesus, in this story, different from any other passage and any other message in this series, Jesus is the one who's amazed in this story. Jesus was amazed. Now, let's just uh, zoom out a little bit. There's only two times in the New Testament when Jesus was actually amazed at something. Uh, For instance, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus was amazed at the faith of a Roman centurion soldier who just had undeniable faith in believing that Jesus had authority like he had authority over soldiers to heal his son. And Jesus did do it. And so he was amazed at that man's faith. And then he's amazed at the faith of other people here in this story. Jesus' hometown is in the city of Nazareth. 
These people know everything about him. This is where he grew up. Uh, They know his family business. His dad was a carpenter. He became a carpenter until he entered into ministry. They know his brothers. They know his sisters. They know his mom, which it's interesting that they called him the son of Mary or Mary's son. They didn't even mention Joseph, which they're kind of insinuating in the passage that they thought Jesus was illegitimate that he wasn't actually Joseph's son and that Joseph wasn't his daddy. So it's kind of like a pejorative. Isn't this Mary's kid, but not Joseph's? Isn't that him? See, in this passage here, Jesus is running into people in his hometown who know everything about him and they're probably over-familiar with Jesus. And being overly familiar with Jesus is actually a dangerous thing. So regardless of where you are on your faith journey, especially if you're somebody who considers themselves a church person, you need to heed this warning, especially because you are definitely susceptible to what we're going to be talking about today. So Jesus was amazed at what? He was amazed at their lack of faith. He was amazed at their lack of faith. You know, it's not good when we're amazed at somebody but in a negative way. Not wow, but really? Wow. They're they're different. Uh, One of my favorite sketches from Saturday Night Live was a few years ago when Seth Meyers, he's not on the show anymore. He has his own late night show, but he would do a segment called Really? And it was really funny, not to be redundant. In fact, one of my favorite times when he did this segment where he was being negatively amazed at something was back in 2013, the USDA gave uh, some recommendations to Congress about how to make school lunches healthier for kids. And Congress decided to push back on those recommendations and instead came out with their own. And our Congress, makes me proud of our government, decided to recommend that the tomato paste on cafeteria school pizza classifies as a vegetable so school lunches are healthy. Exactly, right? Really? I mean, and this is what some of the stuff they said at that time was school pizza, cafeteria pizza doesn't even classify as pizza itself. Really? I mean, my goodness, cafeteria school pizza has the same nutritional value as the tray that it's served on. If pizza now counts as a vegetable, what's next? Do French fries count as taking French itself? Really? 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 Ugh. Being negatively amazed or having somebody be negatively amazed at you to go, really? That is not a good thing. And this is what Jesus is doing here in this passage. He was being amazed, but it is not in a good way at all. He's amazed, sadly, at their blown opportunity to experience the power and wisdom that Jesus brings to the human experience. You can see it in the passage. What are these miracles he's performing? What's this wisdom? They've heard about it. His renown has followed him all the way back home when he comes to visit and sleep on his mom's couch. They've heard about him, but their lack of faith is causing them to miss. Oh, what could have been theirs. Jesus is amazed at it. So let's take a minute and just talk about lack of faith. Just to clarify this, uh, in the New Testament, when it talks about faith, it actually has three different types of faith. There's faith, which is really not like a, do you believe in God? Do you believe in Jesus? Check yes, check no. It's not like an intellectual thing. It's do you trust? Do you have faith 
And do you believe what he says about himself and are you willing to act on it? That's faith. And then there's also little faith. That's a whole different, entirely different word. And little faith isn't bad. These are for people who are, are growing. They're trying to, they have questions. They might be a little bit skeptical, but they're trying. They're trying. And Jesus here never rebuffs anybody for having little faith. In fact, some of you are probably really hard on yourselves because you have doubts and struggles, but you're trying. Well, Jesus isn't hard on you if you have little faith, but you're trying to grow it. In fact, he said, you see this mountain here? If you believe in your heart and you have faith the size of a mustard seed, and that's how big, this much faith, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will be done for you. Nothing will be impossible for you. So little faith isn't the issue. Then there's lack of faith. And that's a whole different, entirely different word altogether. This isn't a message for people who are skeptics. This isn't a message for people who are working out their faith journey. This isn't a message about people who have questions. All those are good and can actually grow your faith. This is about the opposite of faith. In fact, the Greek term for lack of faith is apistis, apistis. And the word for faith is pisteo. So it's kind of like putting an A almost in front of the same word, much like how a word that we have in our culture right now. There's symptomatic and asymptomatic. It's the opposite. Symmetrical, asymmetrical, apistis, apistis. It's the opposite of faith. And so just for our clarity purposes, this word is translated in the New Testament in a couple different ways throughout scripture. And so here's one that I think is more helpful for the purposes of our conversation today. Jesus was amazed at unbelief, the opposite of faith. And this is what this passage is a warning for me and for you about so we don't miss out on everything that Jesus has to offer the human experience. So I want to bring up again Poison Oak. And it's, no, it's not just because I need to itch myself right now and I haven't for a few minutes. But I want to talk to you about recognizing poison oak. Now, um, I did not grow up in really an outdoorsy family. <laughs> my dad, hi, dad, hi, mom. Uh, my dad took us camping. I didn't ask you permission to tell this story. I'm going to embarrass you to a lot of people. I'm really sorry. Um, he took us camping one time when we were kids. It did not go great, like, at all. I think everybody got sick. And my dad's just not an outdoorsy person. When he was done, he's like, I've done it. I've took my family camping. Once it's done, that's not for us. And for the rest of my life, ever since that moment, my dad has always said that his idea of camping is, quote, staying at the Holiday Inn instead, end quote, Arch Johnston. That's what camping was in my family. So I'm not a Boy Scout. I don't know any of this stuff. If you ask me about Batman, gotcha. Ask me about Poison Ivy and Poison Oak, not good. So I've actually had to learn what this stuff looks like if it's on my property and it's all over me and how do you remedy it, how do you treat it, and this is actually what it looks like here. Here's a Poison Oak branch. It has three leaves on it. The leaves look like uh, oak leaves. That's why it's called poison oak in the first place. And uh, I heard a little jingle, and I can't believe I'm just now hearing this, but here's the jingle, the little limerick that people say to help you know to avoid poison ivy, poison oak, poison sumac, whatever. It's leaves of three, let it be. Leaves of three, let it be. And so I've unfortunately now spent more time researching how to treat this thing that is all over me right now instead of I should have learned how to recognize this stuff so I could prevent myself from getting it all over me. 
And really, that's what this passage today about this sad encounter in Nazareth where Jesus' own hometown people, the people who helped raise him and loved him, the community his family is surrounded by and how they rejected him, it's helping us not point a finger and look down our noses at them, but to look introspectively at our own faith, at our own hearts, and to help recognize where might unbelief be in us, where it's robbing us of what we could have more of of God. And so we're going to take a minute to just talk about, here's how you recognize unbelief in you, not the person next to you or the person on the other side of you and not the person you're trying to text with. You really need to listen to this. Put your phone down. Just listen for you. This is about me and you. We're just going to look at us right now. Here's how you recognize unbelief. You recognize unbelief in you by looking at this passage. You can see that uh, first you can recognize unbelief by how it sounds and how it looks and then how it feels. And unbelief sounds like what's called scoffing. Now, scoffing is this idea uh, that's talked about in the Bible. People don't, people kind of use that word now, but not a whole lot. Scoffing means to ridicule or to laugh at somebody with contempt. It's like a laugh, but a negative kind of laugh. Um, here's what scoffing looks like in 2020 in America and Western culture, especially on social media. It's this word here, Psh, which I had to look at how to spell that. It's really hard. It's P-S-S-H. Psh. That's what it sounds like. That's what scoffing is. Psh, whatever. Psh, no, Psh, I'm not going to do that. Psh, who does he think he is? That's scoffing. And that's what it sounds like. See, people do this with things of God and with Jesus when they read something, when they hear something, when a preacher like me says something, when a friend who's trying to tell them something and they don't like what they're hearing, there's unbelief going on inside of them. The first thing they do is often they don't get mad first, they laugh first and they laugh at it with contempt. Okay, there it is. It's unbelief. Um, If you're familiar with the Bible, there's a perfect story that talks about this in the Old Testament. There's a man named Abraham. And before he was known as Abraham, his name was Abram. And he had a wife named Sarah. And the Lord came to Abraham and promised him that he was going to have a child. Now, they were both well into their old age, well past childbearing. They had never had a child, hope for a child, long for a child, never had a child. And God promised Abram and said to him, when I come back by this time next year, you will have a child. And Sarah overheard it. And you know what she did? She laughed. There it is. There's unbelief. So can you think of a time lately when somebody said something to you about God? And let me tell you, as a pastor, people do this most around areas where their hope is really vulnerable. And when somebody speaks about the goodness of God, and if you're hurting, and you have a little bit of unbelief, the first thing you might do is go, okay. Where have you done that in your life? I know I have. What promises of God do you laugh off, shrug off, blow off? Unbelief sounds like scoffing. Unbelief, if you want to recognize it in your life and to learn to eliminate it, it sounds like scoffing, but it also looks like discrediting. It looks like discrediting. Now, notice what the people of Nazareth said. So Jesus 
preached a sermon to him. It was actually the second time that he went back there to preach. The first time didn't go so well either. They tried to throw him off of a cliff. So go Jesus for having a bad outing and then wanting to come back to help his hometown. He's really gracious like that, gives everybody second chances, and they still don't receive it well. And they respond with discrediting. They don't talk about what he preached about, what his message was. He even had a great poem, maybe. Nobody noticed any of it at all. All they talked about was, who does he think he is? Well, he's just a carpenter. Yeah, his mom who got knocked up before she married Joseph, isn't he her kid? We know his brothers and sisters. We all know what type of people they are. They talked about him. They didn't talk about his argument, what he said, what he taught, what his points were. It's void from all of their comments. And if you are somebody who's been infected with unbelief in your soul, often this is what we'll do. We'll discredit the person who's telling us about God, whether it's Jesus himself or someone else. In fact, this is actually a classic fallacy in, um, in philosophy, and it's called, uh, it's called the fallacy of ad hominem which means that instead of addressing somebody's arguments or their points, you just attack their character to discredit what they say. And uh, the levels, if you look at the best type of argumentation to have, the best way to have a debate with somebody, the second to lowest form of actually engaging honestly with ideas is this, is to discredit a person. There's only one level lower than that. That's just a name call. At somebody like they are this close to calling Jesus a stupid head. That's really it. And they're just doing that to him. They're discrediting him. Not even the truth that he said. And here's what I know that's true about me. And I imagine this is probably true about most of us at home. If somebody says something that's true, and I know it's true, but I don't like it. You know what I do? I discredit them. I disregard them. I shot down, I shoot down their character. I slander them. I bet you do that too. And that's actually a sign that there's something in us that's the opposite of faith, that doesn't want to receive truth, that says no, a hard no to something that God might want to do in our lives. It looks like discrediting. It sounds like a scoff. It looks like a discredit. And then here's the last one. An unbelief feels like a hard heart. It feels like a hard heart. Now, this is the main metaphor in scripture for the idea of unbelief. Uh, one of the Bible dictionaries that I have in my home talks about the motif of something being hard in scripture. And it talks like this. It says the quality of being hard rather than soft, uh, stiff instead of pliable, is hardly mentioned at all as a physical property. Almost never as an actual physical thing. Instead, it is a psychological, moral, and spiritual quality that covers a range of attitudes, including refusal to listen, inability to understand, irrationality, and just flat-out rebellious disobedience. That's what a hard heart looks like. In fact, scripture talks about this in the book of Hebrews. 
It gives a clear warning. The book of Hebrews is like one warning after another for the whole book about guard your heart from unbelief because of what it does to you on the inside. Scripture has warnings all throughout it. Above all else, it says this in the book of Proverbs, guard your heart. Everything you do flows from it. And so Hebrews says this. So so today, as the Holy Spirit says, and he quotes uh, Psalm 95, I believe. Today, if you hear his voice, here it is. Do not harden your heart. Don't do it. We're going to skip down to verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So here we are, together today, me encouraging you, if you're with anybody else, encourage the person sitting next to you, sitting on the couch, sitting on the floor, wherever you're sitting at together in your small group on a Zoom call later this week, encourage each other to keep your hearts soft and free from unbelief. I don't know of a sadder image of all of scripture of a heart becoming petrified and hardened. You know what happens when a heart becomes calloused over by perpetual decisions and a series and a consecutive no's, no, 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 no to God? It's like the heart becomes calloused and hard. And here's why that image is so sad. is because when it's become calloused over and petrified, then that means that heart can't feel anymore. It can't feel touch. It can't hear a whisper from the God who made it and loves it. His presence feels further and further and further away, and it grows colder and colder and colder towards what is good and true and beautiful. It is so sad And this is where Jesus is amazed at these people that he knows and loves and grew up with and who helped raise him. Really? Oh, I just wish you wouldn't have so much unbelief. So that's how you recognize it. But if I just said amen right here, that was an informative sermon that just ended on a depressing note. But God is a God of promise. He's the God who's not okay with leaving people's hearts like hearts of stone. He's better than that. He's better than your wildest imagination. He does something about it. In fact, we could see a clue into how to avoid this. Not only how to avoid it, but how to heal it inside of you and inside of me. It's right there in the passage. We're going to put it up on the screen. Mark 6, 2 This is at the very beginning of the verse. It says, when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And look, many who heard him were amazed. Not everybody had a hard heart. Not everybody scoffed at him. Not everybody discredited him. There were many who still knew everything about him, knew his whole life story, all of his family, his brothers, his sisters, who knew he was a carpenter, but now he's an itinerant preacher. And they were still (gasps) amazed at him. And it's this incredible insight that came upon us in our team teaching meeting this week when we, it must have been God who helped open our eyes to this go, this is how 
you remedy this issue. And it's this, the way to protect your heart and to heal your heart from unbelief is to stay amazed with Jesus. It's to stay amazed with Jesus. You see, guys, something happens when we choose to stay amazed with Jesus. When you posture yourself to be amazed by him, you end up praying prayers like King David did in Psalm 27, where he prayed something along these lines of, God, all I want to do all my life is to just gaze at your beauty and have my breath be taken away the rest of my life. I want to dwell in your house all my days, and I want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. We had a heart that was just looking to be amazed, praying to be amazed, requesting to be amazed, because he had known and experienced God, and knew that all this, the things that he had seen in God that brought tears of joy to his eyes and took his breath away, that those are just the outer fringes of who God is, and there's, there's so much more of him. And he would posture himself to stay amazed. And when you do that, you position yourself to receive the promise of God. And this is for anybody watching this at home. Where you have a hard heart and you know it. You don't know how to fix yourself. You're in a dark place, a lonely place, an angry and hurting place. And you're stuck and you can't get out. God has promised forever through the prophet Ezekiel that if we come to him, that he will put in us a new spirit and a new heart and he will remove your heart of stone. He won't fix it. He just wants to put some moisturizer on it. He replaces it all together and gives you a brand new heart removes the heart of stone and puts in us a heart of flesh. It says in the Psalms, create in me a pure heart, a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. This is what God does. And so if you have a heart that's hurting, a heart that's been hardened by your own sin and the sin that's been done to you and the hurt that you've experienced in life, maybe you're experiencing right now in this season, and maybe you even experienced it from somebody in your own family. This is the moment for you to reach out to him, to posture yourself, to be amazed by him, to experience his promise. And he'll do it. And he'll heal you and give you a new heart. Now it's all good and true. Let me just give you two practical ways that you could do this. If you're just leaning forward saying yes to that, just do two things for me today. Just two. When you turn this off, when this stream is over, don't do what so many people do. This is like the normal thing. It goes off and people look at each other. And I honestly think most people go, they talk about how amazing the band was and how good the music was, what they like. And then they talk about whether the preacher was amazing or not. And, you know, we're not, we're just average Joes around here. But they talk about those things. But this isn't a show. Instead, when this goes off, put your phone down, the tablet down, turn off the TV, turn to each other, go online, go talk to your small group, whatever it is, and talk about what you found out was amazing about Jesus instead. As soon as you're done worshiping, think about it. What is amazing? that I experienced saying something I sang, something I prayed, something I felt, something I received, something I heard. 
about Jesus. And if you start just looking for it, you will find it and you will find it in abundance. Do that and then do this. You just don't have to look around for it. You ask him to do it and you ask him, Jesus, I want an experience of you that will amaze me. And he answers it every single time. Let's ask him now. Would you pray with me? So why don't you, in the silence of your hearts, where you're at, pray this prayer with me. If you need him to soften your heart, to heal you of unbelief, and you want to experience everything that he has for you, you can pray this one sentence prayer. Dear Jesus, give me an experience of you that amazes me. I open my heart now to the best of my ability. Lord Jesus, we thank you even for tough passages and stories like this in your word, but we thank you that they're there as a warning to us so that we can learn from it, so we can learn to live in a different way. Would you give us grace to walk in your ways and grace to be the type of people that when we hear you, that we would be amazed by you. We want to be those people. Would you help us now? In your name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us for worship today. We're so glad that you streamed with us. Uh, We want to help you take your next step of faith, whatever that may be. If you're somebody who um, you want to say yes to following this amazing Jesus for the very first time, or if you want to recommit your life to him, maybe you want to get involved in a small group, or maybe you want to become a partner of our church like we were talking about earlier, all you got to do, it's really easy. You can either just text the word next to the number on the screen, or you can just go to our website, communityfolk.church slash next. You can fill out a, a, just a simple confidential form. And one of our staff members will be in touch with you and would love to help you take your next step in your journey of faith. Friends, God bless you. Thanks for joining us this week. Stay amazed.